Sandy, why don't you open for us today? Okay. Father, we thank you so much that you have arranged so we can have this class even on Zoom and have missionaries included and, and people far away. And I just thank you for who you are and how you care for us and how you took care of Ray today. And and it was just a miracle, it sounded like. And um, and I just thank you for for your for the Bible and for the class today and pray that you'll bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, you all, I'm sure, when you take a vacation or you plan on going on a trip, depending on the extent and the time of your trip, you do adequate planning, you think ahead, you make reservations, you save money up, you might even buy certain things that you're going to need while you're gone, you make arrangements for the dog, for the babies, for everything. Well, in a similar way, I think Paul made some plans for not a vacation, but he made some plans to make some visits, and his plans were related to the ministry that God had given to him. So I'd like to take a look at chapter 15, verses 22 through 29, similar to how we looked at the purposes of Paul, where we looked at his ministry. And we drew from that, from his ministry, we drew principles concerning how we could apply those same principles in our ministry. And we can do the same in terms of plans, and particularly plans related to spiritual things and related to that same ministry that we talked about. But before we look at verse 22, there were a couple of verses that we didn't quite get to, so let's take a quick look at them and develop the last principles in terms of the essence of ministry. And if you've looked at the outlines that I sent to you, I sent two of them. One of them was the one that we've been using. So we'll look at the end of it, and then we'll get into the first part of the other outline that uh, you should also have. So we're dealing with the churches at Rome, completing the book. We're in the conclusion. We've looked at Paul's purposes, 14 through 21, and we'll complete well, we'll actually look at 19, 20, 21, and then we'll spend the bulk of our time, hopefully, looking at the plans that Paul has that he lays out. He tells us what he desired to do. Some of those plans we don't know, particularly one part of it. We don't know whether it was fulfilled. There's indicators that it's possible that he did, in fact, complete what he had planned, and there's other indicators that uh, seem to indicate that perhaps he did not. And certainly we know from the book of Acts that some of those plans were radically revised or changed or uh, God redirected some of those plans. So we'll take a look at that two paragraphs actually there, 22 through 33. We won't complete that, obviously. And uh, Eventually, we'll talk about some personal greetings. That's most of chapter 16. And then we'll look at the very conclusion of the book. We've already seen something like a conclusion in different parts of the book. In fact, at the end of chapter 11, it almost seemed like Paul was going to conclude the book there. And then he gets into chapter 12. And now that we've gone through 15, 13, verse 13 is something of a conclusion to the book. But now we have the formal conclusion with a conclusion of its own, a conclusion of praise. So looking at Paul's ministry, he has something of a prophet. He's a writer of scripture. And in fact, he's referred to as a prophet in other places. And in some ways, he did prophesy in the predictive sense, but he also prophesied in the foretelling sense and particularly the reference here is verse 15, where it talks about him writing to the Romans boldly. And very clearly in verse 16, he just describes his ministry as one of a priest. He uses two different words there, and he uses 
Old Testament sacrificial imagery to describe his ministry, so we could call him a priest. Now, that's not a priest in the Old Testament sense, but a priest more along the lines of the priesthood of the New Testament. In 17 through 19, you could call him a proclaimer, particularly of the gospel, or if you want to call him a preacher, that still begins with a with a P there. So we didn't quite get to verse 20, but we'll take a look at that. So verse 20, he's a pioneer, so we'll take a look at it before we get into his plans, beginning in verse 22. And on the outline, following the chart, basically, the purposes of Paul, we saw a purpose of commendation, verse 14, high praise, specific purposes of writing, 15 and 16. And thirdly, we got into verse 17 through 21. In the middle of that, we'll complete it. A purpose of his ministry focused on Gentiles. And that was his calling, is to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And just the last part of verse 19, and we pretty much left off there last time, developing a principle for ministry. Not only had Paul ministered in various locations, he talks about so that from Jerusalem and roundabout, as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So there's the gospel, there's Paul as a proclaimer, as a preacher. But notice the thoroughness, fully preached. The emphasis is that there was considerable effort, considerable detail, considerable different audiences. There was no slackness in there, fully preaching. And I would think the clear gospel, every aspect of it, in fact, this whole book is a theological treatise, you might even say, on the gospel or soteriology, the whole doctrine of salvation and its impact and its uh, implications in terms of living the Christian life as well. So this book of Romans is an example of the thoroughness of Paul, the the detail, the uh, argumentation, the clear presentation of thought after thought that builds upon thought, like a lawyer. In fact, he uses legal terms throughout the book. Like a lawyer, he's building a case, and uh, a lawyer will be thorough in trying to build a case in order to win a case in court, and that's the characteristic of Paul. So he was thorough in not only the geography that he covered. Now, he hasn't completed it. He's somewhat in the middle of his ministry, the towards the end of the third missionary journey. We'll talk a little bit about it when we talk about the plans here. But so far, he has fully preached the gospel to the areas that he has already ministered. And probably the main principle we can draw from it is, unfortunately, most of the church doesn't even get into their involvement. Individuals don't get involved in ministering to one another much less thoroughness, but God not only wants all of us to be, to some extent, depending on our spiritual gifts, wants us fully involved, and part of that involves a thoroughness. In other words, not a half-hearted effort, not a intermittent here and there scattered ministry, but in fact, thoroughness. And in fact, we're going to expand that when we get into Paul's plans to see that Part of thoroughness is actually having a game plan. In other words, having an approach, having a having a plan based on what God has revealed to us concerning the ministry he has prepared for us and concerning the spiritual gifts that he's given us. It uh, includes planning, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get into the next paragraph, but a thoroughness and certainly... This not only is uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and especially empowered by the Holy Spirit, but it also takes a willingness to uh, put oneself out, willingness to stretch, a willingness to jump in when an opportunity arises and when the Lord 
kind of moves us in a certain direction. We need to commit to doing the job with thoroughness, as Paul is a great example of that. So that completes verse 19 and in verse 20. And thus, now he's already kind of transitioning into some of his plans, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, and notice the focus. In fact, we're going to come back to that later on when we talk about one of the main focuses of Paul, preaching the gospel. This was the primary ministry that God gave to him. It may not necessarily be primary ministry for all of us, but we will be involved in some way in the gospel. In fact, the next principle I'm going to draw from that is we'll be involved some way related to the gospel. So Paul is aspiring, planning, thinking, desiring to preach the gospel. And more specifically, this goes along with his planning, not where Christ was already named. And what he's getting at here. It's not that he did not go where the gospel had not been preached. In fact, his plan to visit Rome is an example. He, he didn't found these churches, and he didn't necessarily have an extensive ministry amongst the Romans, but yet he writes a letter. And not only does he write a letter, but he plans to visit them. So he does not exclude everything related to those that have not heard the gospel yet, but he's basically a pioneer. He, he's a missionary. He, he's one with goals that include areas that have not been reached. So he's a missionary. And that's why we call him a pioneer in that he goes into areas where Christ has not already been named. And by already named, what I think he's getting at here, where people are not familiar with Christ and are not calling upon him, not necessarily believing in him. And so he has a an outreach ministry, but he also spent time in some locations until a church was established, and then he would leave and go to new areas, as we know from the book of Acts. So we can draw a principle here is Paul's focus was on the Great Commission. Now, when you think of the Great Commission, don't think in fact, maybe I ought to ask you the question, what are the aspects, in fact, what are the main aspects of the Great Commission? I think we generally think of evangelism, but is that the extent of the Great Commission? No, the word there is make disciples. In uh, Matthew 28, exactly, which is broad. In fact, that's the command, as Jeff has pointed out accurately. The going is actually a participle. As you go, in other words, as you pursue not only life, but your ministry, as you go, you make disciples. So the, the emphasis is the making of disciples. And certainly that starts with evangelism. Uh, sometimes I think the stress on evangelism is more than what the, the verse actually is teaching. And as Jeff pointed out, the uh, making of disciples, which includes the full range of, of ministry in terms of developing individuals, grounding people in God's word, encouraging people to use what God has given them in the way of spiritual gifts, so I think the focus on the Great Commission was certainly at the heart of Paul. Now, he was at the cutting edge, and he was aspiring to preach the gospel. But if you notice the ministry of Paul, it was not simply evangelism. It included the full range. And a good example of that is just the book of Romans itself. So he wants to preach the gospel where it has not been named. Sharon? reminds me of a point that uh, Bill Mooney made in one of his presentations to us. To He said, start teaching and discipling people even before they become Christians. Yeah, particularly in our culture where we're almost, well, not everyone, but most people will say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, uh, and they may be unaware that they may not be. So, yeah, I, I think... That's a good thing. But once you have an indication that they probably are not believers, then you need to kind of focus and maybe pull them aside and 
share the gospel with them. But the focus is on the Great Commission, and all of our ministry will have some aspect of it, even uh, service ministries that support those that are preachers, teachers, and more upfront and more involved in direct involvement of ministry. Service ministries make a lot of times those ministries possible because they they require more than than simply the preaching and the teaching. So a focus on the Great Commission is another aspect of, of ministry. We can get sidetracked. We can focus on areas that probably are not as edifying as perhaps the Lord would have us focus on. So keep reminding ourselves of the Great Commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28. And then the last part, uh, verse 20, so that I would not build, now he's describing more of his ministry, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. And Paul had a particular ministry. In fact, we see a little of that in 1 Corinthians where He describes the ministry of others, and some plant, some water, some plant seeds, some water, some fertilize, some uh, nurture, you know, the whole process. He's using the imagery of, of a farmer, you might say, in terms of planting things. And he saw his ministry as one of planting seeds and others would build upon the foundation that he laid, and he would leave behind elders and churches that would carry on the ministry. In fact, if you study the book of Acts, you're going to see that he focused mainly on main areas. An example would be Ephesus, where he spent years there, I think three and a half years at Ephesus, And it doesn't mention that uh, he founded the church at Pergamum, Smyrna, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Colossae, some of those other churches in that surrounding area. But most scholars think that his focus was discipling believers at Ephesus, and from Ephesus, they sent out individuals that would plant churches in the various other locations. So Paul knew what his calling was. He had a clear vision and he knew that others had a part in it, and his part was to plant the seeds, and others would uh, build upon that foundation. So he was not an individual that would uh, build on another man's foundation, because his was the cutting-edge ministry. So not only do we focus on the Great Commission, but recognize that uh, we're just part of a bigger plan that God has in terms of ministry, and there is a part that the whole body plays, and those of us like myself that want to encourage individuals to grow and to be involved in the Word and be equipped and recognize their spiritual gifts to get them involved in ministry and show that they have a place. In fact, this teaching here and last week is kind of designed to encourage you to strengthen the ministry that God has given to you. So, There's a whole body that's involved. So it begins with all in ministry. And then uh, Paul kind of moves back to that concept where there's others that build upon foundations and there's others that plant seeds. But together as a body, we fulfill all that God desires, or hopefully we do. Although, unfortunately, today the church is very weak and is, I don't think, fulfilling what God would have us to fulfill. But that's the biblical encouragement and the biblical design. So we have 12 principles or 12 elements of the essence of ministry. We saw several of them last week, and we conclude with the last three here today. Any comments or questions on that before we look at verse 21? He's going to give a biblical support here as it it is written. Any comments? Things to add? Well, that completes our sheet there, except for the last item there, the uh, support. And Paul goes to uh, an interesting passage. I'm going to give you the passage and see if somebody can kind of give us the context of that passage. It's interesting. It's out of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 52. And what 
is the essence of Isaiah 52, particularly the last part. Does anyone know? That's crucifixion. Well, 53, it leads into and part of the description of Messiah that focuses on the crucifixion, exactly. So this is related to the coming of the Messiah. Now, Paul is not saying that he is fulfilling this passage, but I think what he's saying as part of everything else that he's just mentioned, that in some way his ministry is a part of fulfilling what Isaiah 52 and 53 are predicting. When the Messiah comes, the Messiah will in fact take the sins of the world. He will die for for mankind. And in that, he, he quotes the Isaiah 52, what is it, what verse is it? 15. 15. Yeah, Isaiah 52, 15. And that verse, they who, they who had no news of him shall see. Now, what's the news? The news of the Messiah, the gospel. And that's what Paul is all about, is giving out this news. And there's going to come a time when Messiah arrives, this news will be presented. And Paul is saying that his ministry is just part of this. Not entirely, but a part of what Isaiah 52 and 53 is predicting when Messiah arrives. And from Paul's perspective, Messiah did arrive, and his ministry actually is part of what God is doing in the first century to fulfill the purpose of Messiah. They who had not no, had no news of him shall see. In other words, they will have spiritual insight. Then the last part, and by the way, let me ask you, this is a poetic passage, and what kind of poetry do we have here? We have two lines. The first line, they who had no news of him shall see. And then the second line, and they who have not heard shall understand. What kind of poetry? Synonymous. Synonymous poetry. Very, very common. So a lot of the writings of the prophets, they utilize poetry. And here's an example of Isaiah. And he uses synonymous parallelism. Who wants to explain the essence of what synonymous parallelism is, first of all? It's where one line is not exactly repeated, but it's um, kind of a rephrasing of the first part. Exactly. Uh, Mm -hmm. In other words, the same idea using different words, different phraseology. So the idea of comprehending or digesting or absorbing, you might say. So those who had no news shall see. In other words, they will see spiritual truth. And they who have not heard, using a different, slightly different image, shall understand. In other words, it'll be grasped. It'll be obtained. And what he's getting at here is the the gospel message is going to be revealed and it'll be understood. It'll be seen in a spiritual sense. And Paul, I think, is supporting his ministry and not saying that he's the only one, but he is a part of the bigger plan that God has when Messiah comes, sends out those with the good news, the gospel, and people will respond to it. And in Paul's case, since he's his ministry, we've already seen, is to the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hear and see and they will understand. So that's the paragraph of Paul's purposes. And that moves us into the plans of Paul. And that begins in verse 22. And I see that running all the way to the end of the chapter. There's actually two paragraphs in there, but I include both of them together. The plans of Paul. And the starting point is he gives the plans for the future, verse 22 through 25. And part of the sentence deals with past hindrances. And I say part of the sentence because it's a long sentence running all the way to verse 25. So verse 22 starts it off. But let's look like we have, uh, we haven't done this in a while, but a long sentence. I like to 
look at it as a whole. And it's been a while since we've encountered a long sentence of Paul. These that we've seen, not only in the conclusion, but somewhat at the end here of the book of Romans, have been a lot shorter. But here's another long, long sentence. What is it? Four verses. And what it's good to do is to break down sentences so that we don't get lost in all of the detail. And first of all, we want to prioritize the main parts. So let me remind you, a sentence can have independent clauses, and it can have dependent clauses, and it can have a combination of both. And we have a combination of both in this long sentence. And let's break it down. Let me read it. And as I'm reading it, see if you can pick out, it'll have to have at least one independent clause. And if it's a compound sentence, it has to have at least two and maybe more independent clauses. If it's a complex sentence, it has to have at least one independent and one dependent clause. And if it's a compound complex sentence, it'll have at least two independent clauses, and perhaps at least one dependent. So let me read through it, and let's see if you can pick out the clauses. First of all, for this reason, I have often been, and by the way, an independent clause is a clause that can stand alone. In other words, you could put a period at the end of it, and it would be a complete sentence. Now, the four here, a sentence can begin with a four. That does not necessarily subordinate that, but it could be a subordinating word. But I, I'm gonna I take it as kind of continuing the thought from verse 21, connecting it. And for this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. Semicolon. So it goes on. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, comma. And since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, then uh, there's a verse break. Whenever I go to Spain, and then we have a little dash there. So we have a parenthetical part here. For I hope to see you in passing, comma, and to be helped on my way there by you, comma, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while, and then we have another dash, so there's the end of the parenthetical statement. But now, comma, I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints, period. So a long sentence. We don't get to the period to get to the end of 25. Any suggestions? Is this a simple sentence? Yes or no? Compound complex. Very good, Connie. Jumped way ahead. Compound complex. So that means uh, you identified two independent clauses. Can anyone identify before Connie tells I us? There, I think there's three because there's two outside of the parentheses and one inside. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what's what's the first one, Jim? The first one, I have often been hindered from coming to you. Okay. Where is that? That's the first one? 22. 22? Yes. Okay. All right. Anyone disagree with that? Okay. I would include the whole thing. Otherwise, you just have something hanging loose. So I, I would agree with you, but I would include, for this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you as the independent clause. So the semicolon marks off the first one. Who has identified the second one? And maybe there's a third one, Jim says. I was going to say, I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. Okay, I'm trying to find it. Well, that's in the parentheses. Right. Okay, for I hope to see you in passing. All right. Now, how are you taking the for? As parenthetical. Okay. It's a statement. He's saying, I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. Okay. Yes, but this four is there. (laughs) So I think it's a a junction. Subordinating. Subordinating. Subordinating, yeah. Yeah, when it's inside, it's usually subordinating. So if... if Four here means because. Yeah, or some along those lines, yeah. So it can't be the beginning of a sentence. 
Right. Okay. I still they agree. I still agree with Connie. It's a compound complex. complex. So was that the one I'm that Jim to, Jim was? Yeah, I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints right. as independent. Very good. Yeah. 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 So there's your independent clauses. So the, the the independent clauses, remember, are the main things in a long sentence like this. So there's two main ideas here. The idea of him being prevented from coming and the going to Jerusalem to serve the saints. So those are kind of the controlling ideas of this long sentence. And everything in between, in this case, is not only subordinate, and there's a series of subordinate clauses in there, but they tell us something about either the often being prevented from coming and or the going to Jerusalem. So let's just kind of work our way and look for the rest of the dependent clauses. And we'll just start in verse 23. But now with no further place for me in these regions, is that a clause? There's a comma. Yes. No, it is. Okay, where's the verb? I, I think that goes with verse 23. Goes Sorry. with what? There's not no verb. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so remember, every clause has to have a subject and a verb. Otherwise, it's not a clause. Otherwise, it's yeah. just a phrase. It probably goes with what follows, with no further place for me in these regions. And since, and there's your subordinating conjunction, since mm -hmm. I have, have had for many years a longing to come to you. So that whole thing, verse, all of verse 23, I think, is a subordinate clause. It's kind of a complex complex one who said right i did i did i have would be the yes. Um, yes subject and verb of both parts of that i have no further place yes i have had for many years a longing very good yeah i uh i'm not a grammarian that's all but place is um, a prepositional phrase for yeah. me, prepositional phrase, in these regions, another prepositional phrase. Yeah, so no verb in there. And I think Connie identified it in that it goes with since I have, and you could say I have no further place for me. So it goes along, you know, it modifies the I have. I have had. Have had, yeah, exactly. So that whole thing is a subordinate clause that tells us Something about this prevented from coming to you, maybe not so much the prevented part, but the idea of coming to them, something behind the coming to them. And then... Ray, I have a question. Okay. How can you have a phrase when you don't have the punctuation to divide it? Can you have a clause, you mean? What I was trying to say, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you can have a subordinating clause without a comma. But oftentimes the translators will help you with a comma. Remember, commas are not in the original Greek, but the translators will give you punctuation to, to help you, like the colon there. That colon alerts us to there's probably another main clause in here somewhere, and the translators are just kind of tipping you off with that. So 23, so we have an independent clause, 22, dependent clause, 23. What about 24? Whenever I go to Spain, and then we have a break, we have a subject and a verb there. That's a clause, dependent clause. Okay, and the whenever kind of introduces it. And for I, for I hope to see you in passing, I think the for is a subordinating conjunction. So that would be a dependent clause. And how many are there in that parenthetical part? For I hope to see you in passing. Just one. I think the I and the hope, I is a subject, hope, and to see is a infinitive, see you in passing, and to be helped on my way, or to be helped would be another infinitive, two infinitives, controlled by or the verb hope. So that's one subordinate clause. Then 
the when introduces another one that kind of modifies this other one when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Well, what on I, my what, way is another clause. Say that again. On my way. What's the verb? No, it's not. A, I did I say clause? I meant a uh, uh, phrase. Yeah. Oh, you're looking for for clauses. Clauses. Only. Yeah, and I think the clause goes from the for to the comma. On my way by uh, there by you. Right. Okay. Yeah. The I hope is the subject and the verb. And then you have two infinitive phrases with other things that modify them. And then when you get to the object of hope. Yes. No. Oh, I hope what to see. Right. To be yeah. Infinitives that are kind of the object of hope. Very good. Yeah. And then when I have first enjoyed your company, when is an adverb telling you time? It's a time adverb. And it's a, yeah. it's a subordinating conjunction that introduces... Adverbial subordinating conjunction. Yeah. yeah, subordinating the last independent clause. Hey, Ray. Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, yeah, this hyphenated section, my brain was trying to remember what the technical word for that was. But I, isn't it called a anacoluthon? It's kind of a, a, an intervening thought thrown in the middle of a sentence that kind of goes a different direction. Uh, I think it may also be referred to as a gloss. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know anything about grammar, but I would call it a parenthetical statement. Yeah, yeah they just have, they just have other technical words for it. Yeah, and Ray, not, not um, being a grammarian, I don't know all those technical words. Ray, yes. um, I had a question, Jane. Um Well, my Bible has inserted, I shall come to you, which clarifies, you know, whenever I go to Spain, uh -huh. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. Well, it's asterisk because the NU does not have that yeah. inserted. In it. Okay. So, what, but it what, kind what, of would make sense. What version, are you, what version are you using? It's probably one of the King James of the new. Okay. Uh, yeah, the new King James. So it gives all the NU. Yeah. Now, New American Standard tries its best. It, it, it can't always do it, but it tries its best to follow as closely to the Greek in terms of clauses and that sort of thing. And this one pretty much follows the Greek. So you would find these independent, dependent clauses similar in the, the Greek text. So I think it's a good representation. And then, as we've already said, verse 25 is another independent clause. So two independent clauses that has several dependent clauses within and this is a good thing to do as you're reading, especially when you come across these long sentences to figure out what is the most important thing here and how are these dependent clauses related and what are they telling me about these two main ideas. And uh, from that, I come up with an outline and I summarize 22 through 25, the plans for the future that includes past hindrances, verse 22 as the independent clause, and 23 as a dependent clause, his present longing, I kind of summarize verse 23. And then he has these hopes, and you might even say planned, planned hopes, plan to go to Spain with hopes involved, 24. And then he has a plan, the last independent clause of 25, plan for Jerusalem. So that's how I come up with an outline and try to understand what these long sentences of Paul and other writers try to do. So we haven't done this in a long time, but just a reminder, and you, you guys did excellent in identifying clauses. You guys are more grammarians than, than I am. So yeah, it, it just throws a, a, a monkey wrench in it to put a four in there in verse 24, because usually when you have a whenever and a when, you know, you're going to follow. It will follow yeah. another to the conclusion. Yeah. So I think that's why they put it in on that. On your version. Yeah. Yeah. And KB. Yeah. Good. Otherwise, you're hanging. Okay. Well, Thank that, you. that gives you help in breaking down sentences. So when you do your Bible study, you want to study sentences, study complete sentences. By definition, a sentence is a unit of thought, and sentences make up paragraphs. And here's a long sentence that almost is like a paragraph in itself, but it's just one sentence. 
And then you have to look at the individual parts to help you work your way through to figure out what Paul is saying. Otherwise, you can get lost in it. Now, what I'd like to do, and we'll just get started today, but... Yeah. So what is your conclusion from this uh, grammatical exercise? Well, this, like I said, it summarizes Paul's plans for the future. And if you look at the outline, I've got kind of these four major parts, even though I've included dependent clauses on the same level. But this is kind of the, the idea of each of these parts, each of the verses. I try to summarize them. So the outline is basically what you're asking in terms of, you know, what's the conclusion that we come to here? Well, I think he's laying out these plans for the future and he's kind of winding his way with past hindrances, present longings, planned hopes, and then a plan to go to Jerusalem. Okay. And then verse 26, we won't get into it today, but he has plans that are more immediate He has a plan for the future, and he's got some more immediate plans. We won't get that far. We'll get into that next week. Now, some of the applications that I want to try to draw from this, and the first one actually goes back, if you noticed, when we were in verse 20, I was referring to Paul's Paul's vision, and when it comes to our ministries, we, we looked at the essence of ministry that I think we have principles that we drew. And now I'd like to talk a little bit about the strategy of ministry, of which the majority of believers don't have even a ministry or, well, they're supposed to, but they don't. They don't pursue anything. But most of you already have a ministry, and this will be hopefully helpful in terms of a strategy. In other words, what might be helpful in making my ministry more effective? And I think it's good to have a strategy. And I think Paul gives us his strategy, or at least principles that underlie his strategy that uh, he lays out here. So I think the first thing that sticks out, at least, there might be some other things, is Paul had a very clear vision of who he was, a clear vision of what God had called him. In fact, God is not going to necessarily be as clear with us as he was with Paul. Paul got a direct vision of the Lord and guidance from believers to uh, give him a clear vision for his ministry. And you can trace through the book of Acts and through the letters when he refers to aspects of his ministry, you see that he fulfilled that vision that God gave him. And at the end of his life in Second Timothy, where most scholars see that book written within weeks or maybe even days of his execution, He's able to say, under inspiration, I've run the course. I've completed his ministry. He's kept the faith. Remember that verse in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4? And he's a good example of someone that has clarity of vision. And this is good. We, We should identify what our spiritual gifts are. And not that it's absolutely necessary, but I think it's helpful to have a good idea of how God is going to use you. This can this will prioritize the things that you do in life. It will prioritize the effort that you put in, and uh, it will uh, prioritize the opportunities that will come your way that God opens up that you'll want to take advantage of. Now, I think Satan will always try to distract us, will always try to divert us, In fact, he, I don't think it's beyond him to present a spiritual opportunity in an area of ministry that is not part of what God has designed for us. So I think it's good to have a clear idea of who we are and and how God wants to work us. That doesn't mean that on occasion we stretch ourselves, but we need to be on guard not to get diverted 
from uh, the ministry that God has called us to. And we won't go back to verse 20, but uh, some of the things that we've already looked at there, Paul had a clear vision that he was on the cutting edge of evangelism, and it was primarily to Gentiles. So when he laid out his ministry and laid out the plans, he had a strategy, and he doesn't state it, but it appears that he prioritized major areas like Ephesus, Corinth, Philippi, and there were many other cities surrounding these. Thessalonica was one, and even on the first missionary journey, you know, remember he uh, went to Lystra and Derby in the Galatian area, and again, there were many other cities, but he seemed to have a priority to some areas, and he would he also had a priority of going to the Jew first, so he would visit the synagogue. So he had a very clear vision, and the outworking of that, you see some of that in the book of Acts. So I think it's a good example for us to, to have a clear idea of who we are, what we are about, and what God wants to, to use us in so that we not get sidetracked. And part of this strategy... For this reason, for going back to that uh, vision that he had and plan, he already hints, and we already saw in chapter one, he's already mentioned, in fact, turned uh, first chapter. Notice what it says in one thirteen. Would somebody read that one for us? Romans one thirteen. Anyone? I've got it. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Okay, so kind of a clear plan. This is what Paul had planned. And now in chapter 15, in the conclusion, he's reminding us of what he's already said. And not only that he had the plan to visit them, but that he had been hindered. For this reason, I... I have often been prevented, is the word there. It could be translated hindered. And the idea of coming to you, the Romans. And a good example of that, and this example also gives us another principle here. We, we can have all of the plans. In fact, what does Proverbs tell us? We make our plans, but who directs our steps? God. God directs our steps. Turn to chapter 16, and somebody read beginning in verse 6. And chapter 16 is the the beginning of the second missionary journey. Number 15 is a Jerusalem council. In fact, it actually begins at the end of chapter 15. But notice, as he's out, Paul seems to have this plan. He's got an itinerary laid out. And who wants to read first? Chapter 16, verse 6. I missed which book went. Oh, Acts. Are you talking about Acts or Romans? Acts, It's I'm the sorry. book of Acts. He didn't say. Acts 16. That's what I thought. Acts 16, 6. Sorry about that. Yeah, Denise is ready. Denise, go ahead. 6, 16, 6. And they passed through the Pyregion and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay, I think that's a clear example of what Paul is talking about in uh, Romans 15.22, where he's got his plans, but sometimes God uh, revises them or redirects them. And in this case, it seems like Paul was intending to go to Mycenae. In fact, read verse 7. Somebody got verse 7. Sharon, you got that one? And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Did not permit them. So redirecting. So he's in the Galatian. I'll show you a map in a moment. And the Phrygian region and wants to go north to Bithynia, northeast, and Mycenae, a little bit west. But the Holy Spirit did not permit them. Now who wants to read verse 8? Sandy, you got your mic open. So passing by Mysia, They came down to Troas. Okay, read nine as well. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Okay. So the Holy Spirit is clearly redirecting Paul. And in this case, very definitely. Now, the Holy Spirit probably in our case is not going to be this direct, but circumstances oftentimes will dictate and opportunities that open or close will, will dictate how we pursue different areas. But this is just an example. And then we need to complete it by reading verse 10, because this this totally directs the uh, the ministry of Paul on this second missionary journey. Now let me jump let me jump ahead here to a map. I should have put this in here. But on this map, so Paul is revisiting the Galatian area that was the focus of his first missionary journey, and Phrygia on the edge of Asia. And it appears that Paul was intending to go perhaps north to Bithynia in this area, to the north of present-day Turkey here, and perhaps even Mycenae. But the Holy Spirit is redirecting them, and he ends up in Troas, which is right here. And by the way, I'll show you some photographs of some of these areas next time. I took a trip through all of these areas. and. Verse 10 is he's at Troas, and what happens there in Acts chapter 16, verse 10? Who wants to read that one? Well, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, so he's in Troas over here, not going to go minister in Mycenae or Bithynia, but instead, he's going to take a boat ride and end up Neapolis. If you read the book of Acts, continuing ministers, founds a church at Philippi. This is Macedonia here. So this is the region that he's going to concentrate on. And then he's re even redirected on that second missionary journey, ends up at Athens and Corinth. And then uh, from Corinth, he returns back to uh, the land of Israel. But the point I'm making here is... I think God desires that we have a strategy, a plan, and at least a clear vision of what God would have us to, to do in terms of ministry. And then let's get back to this preventing idea. And I think another part of our strategy is we leave room for the providence of God. And sometimes he will work miraculously and directly like, like he did Paul. But another and in general, I think God will use providence. So we submit to the providence of God. You know, doors open, doors close, opportunities present themselves. And if it's part of the vision that God has laid out for us and we are comfortable with stepping out, I think that's what God would have us to do. But oftentimes something will intervene. And God will use a circumstance or a situation or a redirecting where very clearly we see Acts chapter, Acts chapter 16 where Paul is directed. So we need to be sensitive and distrust in God's providence and sovereignty to allow, allow his will and the Holy Spirit will redirect. Well, that's a good place to stop. Two elements of a strategy to keep in mind, the clarity of vision, we'll come back and look at them, and then we'll look at some other areas that uh, give us a strategy in terms of pursuing a particular ministry. Hey, I have another question. Go ahead. On uh, 22, for this reason, now I glanced back at 20 and 21, and I still don't know what this reason is. Well... The, the reason, I think, is to preach the gospel. No. Well, he says, for this reason, I've been prevented. Yeah. Something's been preventing him. But I, I don't see what it was. I mean, it wasn't like he had this goal to preach the gospel, and then he was opposed, he was thrown in prison, or he couldn't get on with it. Yeah. He doesn't say that. Well, look forward as well. But I, I think it's tied to... Verse 20, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ is already named. And, and by the way, 
if you read on, you're going to find out that he was not going to stay in Rome very long. He had a particular purpose for going to Rome. We'll look at that in the following verses. But I think at the heart of it, the reason of preaching the gospel, but he's been pre prevented. And just to jump ahead to answer your question, what he's going to tell us is he's just going to pass by Rome and spend enough time to have fellowship with them. But he's going, he's planning, the plan is to go to Spain to preach the gospel. But the trip to Rome has been prevented, and the trip to Rome that eventually would extend into Spain has been prevented because of God redirecting his, his ministry. Does that make sense? So, no, I don't know. <laughs> well, tie the four to what he says in the beginning of verse 20, I aspire to preach the gospel, and then he's going to explain later in the passage this going to Spain. In fact, the sentence that we broke down. And then he's going to mention it again a second time, the desire to go to Spain. And, and that, it's, it's like he says, for this reason, I've often been prevented. Colon, not yeah. semicolon, yeah. colon, and then he lists the reasons or whatever reason. Yeah. He explains it. Yeah, I think he explains it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think he's explaining it. It doesn't sound like that, but it's yeah. the only well, it goes along with the last part also there, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. See, he, he was not going to spend a lot of evangelistic effort in Rome. There was already churches built there. And he's going to tell us why he's going to spend some time in Rome. But the goal is whenever I go to Spain. So that was part of the plan is to make it kind of a passing stop in Rome and he's going to tell us some of the reasons why he's going to stop in Rome as well. And part of it is uh, there's a word in there that indicates that he probably wanted uh, somebody to go along with him or maybe two or three to go along with him and perhaps financially support them and uh, end up in this new region that had not been reached, the farthest west portion of the Roman Empire, which was Spain at that time. We'll get into a little bit more of that. All righty, so let's see if I want to think that's where we need to stop today. Let me put this last slide on. Kind of a concluding thought in your ministry, consider thinking through a strategy. Consider thinking through a strategy in the will of God. And we'll talk a little bit more about the will of God because it comes up in a later, later verse. All righty. Connie, who are we supposed to pray for today? Heavenly Father, wow. Considering thinking through a strategy of your will in all of these circumstances, Lord, um, I pray for each and every one, um, for Jamie with her sleep deprivation. Um, Father, that you would give her sweet sleep, uh, that you would allow her body to be able to perform the way you consider you created it to um, that um, her lungs and her oxygen levels would align with how you have uh, established things to be in heaven um, for Cheryl and Photios the same. We don't know exactly what their health situations are, but for her to say that they are not well, um, we know that they need lifting up as well. Um, and as does Ryan, um, I praise you that uh, he was coming out of their induced coma. I pray that you would continue to heal his body, mm. that um, we do totally acknowledge that if it's somebody's time, it's somebody's time. Mm. Um, mm. In the fact that he's got two children and he would like to see them grow up. Um, we would love to uh, ask your mercy on Ryan and, and your healing for him. Hmm. Um, Father, I want to praise you that over 800 people made decisions for you at the God Loves You Tour. Hmm. Uh, Father, I pray that each and every one of them will be followed up by local churches, by local uh, people who also have a strategy for uh, their ministry to these people. And Father, 
thank you so much for Sharon, even though she has a strategy with Alicia, it keeps getting changed, but she will be patient and uh, she will continue to challenge Alicia uh, for to have a quiet time, to, have, to be reading her Bible. Um, I pray that Alicia would hunger for you, Lord, that she would hunger for that time with you uh, so that it becomes more than just a verse of the day. Um, we pray also for all the logistics for Sharon's trip back to the United States um, and all of the needs that she has while she's here, including doctors and um, government agencies like MVD to get her real ID. Uh, we also lift Tony Santilli before you uh, for his getting out of rehab, being properly fitted with a wheelchair father for the rest of their adventure together he and his wife um that you would hold them close in jesus name i pray 